0: Alright, tonight I am going to do my best to give us an overview of a well a biblical exposition of the wrath of God. The reason I want to do this is because I have been seeing so much deception within the church, um, within... All these ministries online, on YouTube, podcasts, books that are coming out often stemming from a progressive Christian bent um, that do what they can to dismiss the wrath of God, to discredit it, to do away with it, to ignore it, and at times to outright call it unbiblical, and that is unbiblical. That is a lie. Um, and so, I know all of us here probably have a, a decent grasp on the wrath of God, but who knows who's watching this. Maybe some, someone who calls themselves a, progression, a progressive Christian will come across it. If that is you, I would tell you this. Stop it. <laughs> progressive Christianity is not authentic Christianity. Um, it is a lie. From the devil, and it is leading thousands and upon thousands of Christians astray uh, today, and it has been for decades and the the progressive the progressive Christian church does not care to preach the wrath of God because it, it is not it's not an enjoyable topic, but I would say that it's also not preached in the church today because the church and again, this is clarification on the church. Not every church. There are great churches. But let's just say the, the buttermilk biscuit Christian church, the soft church, who, who does not stand on the authority of Scripture in every aspect. <laughs> anyway, anyway, okay. Okay. <laughs> Wrath is not preached today because the church truly doesn't care about the souls of its congregants. Instead, I need the mascot here. They care more about preserving the cash flow, the business model the church has become. We We have turned the modern church into nothing more than highly spiritual country clubs that cater to our flesh instead of a sanctuary for believers, a haven that fosters an environment of authentic worship, repentance, and sanctification where we can gather in humility and vulnerability with a common goal of crucifying our flesh, putting to death the old self in sinful ways, and pursuing God's righteous sanctification he freely gives. We care more about our coffee in the lobby than we do communion with the body. We give more thought to the color schemes on the walls than we do the devil schemes roaming our very halls. We desire charismatic, relevant, motivational speakers over speaking truth and love, theologically sound, God-fearing preachers. Our, <laughs> our worship teams focus more on the melody that they play than the words that they say. We'd rather not by testing discern lies from... Or sorry. We'd rather not by testing discern truth from lies. Instead, we'd rather seek out euphoric emotional highs. Our youth and young adults can rant and rave about fictions like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but many wouldn't, even, many wouldn't even know where to begin if asked to explain Christ redeeming us from the curse. In the modern church today, biblical theology is dead. We want the power of positive thinking instead. Because of the love of money, many preachers refrain from calling out sin so as not to offend the mob, at the same time not realizing that they are actively offending the all-powerful God. God's wrath and repentance are not popular amongst the congregations, but we need to understand these truths so that we can turn from being a wicked and perverse generation. The church has been deceived. We need another reformation. If not for the wrath of God, there would be no need for Christ's salvation. (laughs) I am reminded of Ephesians 4. It's talking about unity within the body of Christ. Um, And it says within that passage, um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So hopefully we are not those who are tossed to and fro um, by all sorts of doctrine and cunning. But I think we can all agree that we see it everywhere, don't we? I'm also reminded of 2 Timothy 3. Uh, yes, Second Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy 4. Um, I preach the word, I, I, I'm, goodness gracious, forgive me. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander often to myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, we are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. With that in mind, let us tackle one, what I would call, doctrine of conformity within the progressive church, the wrath of God, or what they would view as the lack thereof. So to do so, we need to set the record straight. There are some fundamental things we need to understand about God's wrath, and we will get into this as we go. The first being that God's wrath is entirely different than human wrath. Within the Bible, these are two separate uh, entities. God's divine wrath is always just, always balanced, it is always rooted in his holiness and his patience. Human wrath is always rooted in sin and is always seen throughout scriptures as a display of anger, of sin. Um, we can, yes, it's, it's driven by emotion, whereas God is driven by his justice. Um, we can think of Ephesians 2 or 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. And we will have more verses that talk about the separation between God's divine wrath and human wrath. So God's divine wrath is different than human wrath. Second, God's divine wrath is entirely consistent with his divine love. There are, as we said in the beginning, uh, there are many Christians who don't believe in the wrath of God. Instead, they believe in this ethereal, uh, a mythical God they've created who is only loving. Disregarding hell, judgment, uh, repentance entirely, um, this popular deception within the church today is it's a result of illiteracy amongst Christians. Uh, we, we are not reading our Bible. And any time I say we tonight or the church, I do not mean every single church. There are amazing churches out there there is a remnant of believers in America and worldwide who are truly pursuing sanctification and righteousness but uh, I would argue that the majority of the churches we see today are not doing that Um, if you disagree I'd, I'd be open to discussion about it but that's where I stand so we aren't reading the Bible And if we were, we would understand that the Bible is a unified story and that his wrath and love and holiness and mercy and every other aspect of God's character are seen in Jesus and in his salvation. Confusion and doubt about the relationship between wrath and love and our human experiences of uh, maybe we had an abusive father or or didn't have a father or maybe we didn't, There's confusion that takes place with the human aspect and that must be put aside. We have to look at it biblically. So God's wrath being consistent with his divine love is seen in Jesus consuming God's wrath because of his love for us to make a way for salvation. Jesus came as the lamb. He will return as the lion of Judah and he will pour out his wrath on the wicked because of his love for his bride. Because he is righteous and holy and perfect and can have nothing to do with sin. Without wrath, there would be no need for God's salvation. No need. And without wrath, would God be loving? He, he wouldn't be. He would only be apathetic. Yeah, I often more than often, (laughs) tell my children that when I I am disciplining them, I do so because I love them. I say, son or daughter, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you. I wouldn't confront you. I I, I wouldn't correct you in love. I would let you do whatever you wanted, knowing that it would lead to your ruin, your your destruction, because I don't love you. I, I do not care. That is what apathy is. And in the same way, if God didn't love us, why would he discipline us? Why would he have wrath? Why would he correct us? You wouldn't. And in the same light, as a father, I have, as I'm sure most of you do, fathers and mothers, a certain reservoir of wrath built up within you for anyone who would dare harm your children or, or any loved one. We, we are the children of God. And if he did not love us, it would be, unjust for him not to bring wrath upon his enemies who are our enemies so God's wrath is entirely consistent with his love thirdly God's divine wrath is entirely just and balanced with all his other attributes <clears throat> many many of the progressive sect would say that they, they view God's wrath as flippant and abusive and flying off the handle and and I understand that viewpoint if you've only read part of Matthew and been told how to think about the Bible by your pastor. If that sounds harsh, I hope it does. So God's wrath is not flippant. It is not abusive. Again, separating human experience with, with the fathers from God's divine wrath. He does not stumble into fits of rage due to lack of control. God is a God of order. And understanding a proper understanding of his consistency should have us in awe at his being slow to anger. We are far more wicked than we realize, and God is far more holy than we have even begun to comprehend. They will say, they, uh, those who, who have a, an ill view of wrath, they say, How can God send people to hell? I would say, Are you kidding me? How can a righteous, perfect God bring wicked sinners into heaven? Uh, it's, it's just a complete disconnect from those who have no understanding of the entirety of the context of Scripture and they, they just do not understand. So if that's you, read your Bible. Please. The whole thing... <laughs> are you taking video now? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm sure I, I, I don't feel that I can say that to anybody here. So I, <laughs> If it's you, read your Bible! Um, yeah... <laughs> Oh goodness! I have written here: If God and Heaven are perfect, and we being imperfect, why should we expect to spend eternity with Him in His glorious perfection? He is just, and his mercy and patience far outweigh his wrath, and He is good beyond comprehension. Praise the Lord. Fourthly, last point, to set the record straight god's divine wrath is entirely worthy of our fear and our admiration. Kind of a a bold thing to say, but let me explain. We must understand that we brought God's wrath upon ourselves through willful sin. We should fear God and his wrath. Uh, Psalm 111 verse 10 states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Hebrews ten thirty one. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This fear is is not the spineless, emasculated fear that the uh, modern church has has preached for so. I I fear God, which means I I respect Him and I. He, yeah, he's, he's God. He created the universe. I should fear. No, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I, I'm reminded of, of Jamie Walden in that radio interview he did. I don't, I don't remember what organization it was, but he, he essentially said that. It's like, no, we need to genuinely be afraid of what he can do to us in unrepentant sin. And, and, and if I remember right, they didn't really enjoy that answer a whole lot. But it's true. It's true. with that said, we should not let an appropriate fear of God, um, take away from the assurance of our salvation. I think a lot of people lose that balance of like, well, what do do I need to be afraid of God and what he can do to me if if I'm in sin? It's like, well, yes, but if you're a true believer, you're not going to remain in that sin. Yes, you will stumble and fall, um, There's a verse in Proverbs, that says, Though the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Um, I forget what that is, but if somebody knows, you can find it and let us know so we can take notes. But the assurance of our salvation, if we are a genuine believer in Christ, we are saved. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Balance. We must also admire God's wrath. Recall point two about a loving father with this wrath built up for anyone who would harm his children. He will return, remember, as the conquering king, as the lion, pouring out his wrath upon his enemies. And his enemies are our enemies. That is admirable. Yes, okay. So, with the record straight, let's get into a bit Uh, of the more complicated stuff if you'll remember uh, a couple months ago I don't know how long it was I taught on Exodus 34, 6 and 7 the characteristics of God I'll just read it Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So as a a reminder, this is the first time God tells mankind who he is. He's talking to Moses. This is who I am, Moses. And this this verse becomes the, the staple verse Israel throughout their history. And so I just want to revisit that slow to anger. If you'll remember, getting into the, the, the language a bit, the Hebrew, it's pronounced Eric epayim means long of nose. Remember, we talked about that that metaphor of a nose referring to anger. Um, and that Eric Epayim means slow to anger. It takes a long time for that nose to get hot. This is who God is. He is patient in judgment. He is long-suffering. God's anger is displayed within his justice, and oftentimes it is God giving humanity over to the consequences of their sins. This reaction, this giving over, points to and is part of the wrath of God. Uh, God's wrath, in perfect harmony with all of his divine attributes, is the natural expression of God's holiness and righteousness in the face of wrongdoing and evil. Simplified we could say it is God's righteous judgment as we see in Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your hard and penitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Some would argue, and this is getting into the weeds so I probably shouldn't even go there but I will. Some will say that wrath is not an attribute of God. Some would say it is. I I personally, and I could be swayed on this, I would say it is not an attribute. Whereas his holiness, uh, his righteousness, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his omniscience, his his love, those are his attributes. And I I would argue that wrath is a response to wrongdoing. Some would argue differently, some much smarter than me. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines wrath as this, and I thought this was just really good, a bit long. but um, The divine wrath, so again, separating divine from human. uh, Divine wrath is to be regarded as the natural expression of the divine nature, which is absolute holiness manifesting itself against the willful, high-handed, deliberate, inexcusable sin and iniquity of mankind. God's wrath is always regarded in the scripture as the just, proper, and natural expression of his holiness and righteousness, which must always, under all circumstances and at all costs, be maintained. It is therefore a righteous indignation and is compatible with the holy and righteous nature of God. The element of love and compassion is always closely connected with God's anger. If we rightly estimate the divine anger, we must unhesit unhesitatingly pronounce it to be but the expression and measure of that love. So moving on to the, the language of wrath used within the Old Testament. Obviously we are in the Hebrew language and some, the main word for wrath is this, to snort. So again, calling back to that imagery of the nose, or to be angry. Um, There are more than 20 words used to refer to God's wrath in the Old Testament. Wrath, vengeance, anger, fury, judgment, justice, doom, destruction, ruin, devastation, there are probably more. And um, in the Old Testament, wrath is mentioned nearly 600 times. Some will point to 580. I didn't count, so (laughs) fun fact. Instead of visiting all those 600 points, I personally think Psalm 90 just gives a, a really good understanding <clears throat> of God's wrath within the context of the Old Testament. So I'll just read it here. It's probably a little small for you guys. So Psalm 94-12 For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, I wonder if that's a typo, our secret sins in the light of your presence, for all our days pass away under your wrath we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we, f- and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So again, this, so this is actually Moses um, lamenting and asking God to have pity on his people and to bless them. And again, it just, it just buttons up this idea of wrath so perfectly even for today. So we start due to our sin, we have brought God's anger and wrath upon us. Our sins are known before him. Even our darkest, most secret sins are brought to light in his presence and in his truth. And generation upon generation have suffered and will continue to suffer under God's wrath. Because of their unfaithfulness to God and his law, they bring an end upon themselves. Uh, The section concludes with the wisdom that many in the church have forgotten today. Consider God's wrath. Recognize it. Form an appropriate fear of it. This keeps us grounded in biblical authenticity. And then lastly, teach us to number our days. So to understand that our life is but a vapor in the scheme of eternity, teach us to make the most of it that we may gain your wisdom. So within the Old Testament, we have many examples to choose from. Uh, A few popular ones, obviously the exile from Eden, the flood, Genesis 6 through 9, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the defeat of Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, uh, the golden calf incident that we talked about last time, uh, resulting in the execution of thousands. Um, An interesting one, the incineration of Nadab, Nadab and Abihu. Um, thanks, Mom, for not calling me either of those. In Leviticus 10, um, that is the first instance in the Old Testament where where it, this wrath is referred to. It's uh, For those of you who aren't familiar, it's Aaron's sons. They offer an, an unauthorized fire before the Lord, and done. He takes them out, burns them alive. Well, probably not alive, just they're done. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, we also see throughout God's wrath against his chosen people, the Israelites, because they're rebellious and unrepentant. And we see God's wrath against pagan nations and nations that war with Israel being uh, poured out through the nation of Israel. Um, for, for time's sake, I have... This is Deuteronomy 7. I'm not going to read it. It's a bit long. It's 11 verses. Uh, Essentially, God is is saying, I will use you to destroy these pagan nations. So I'll just leave these slides on here. For anybody who wants to pause the video, go ahead and read those. Um, If you want to take note, Deuteronomy 7, I believe. Yes. Because I am running long. So, in the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi clearly and consistently testifies of God's wrath against sin of all humanity, against his chosen people, and against pagans. God's wrath was, and is, never flippant or incongruent with all his other attributes. Again, he is slow to anger, as he told Moses, as he told us. And we should marvel at God's incomprehensible patience. Again, we should have a right fear of his righteous judgment, knowing that in his wisdom, he sovereignly decides when to be patient and when to impose wrath and justice. From here, we will transition to the New Testament. And this is where the confusion begins to take place. We talked about um, being illiterate not reading our Bibles, not understanding. Um, this is where we begin to see people dismiss the idea of wrath for no other reason, and I kid you not, because it talks about it less. There are less words used about the wrath of God, so therefore it's not as important. Okay, that's completely ignoring the entire context of why Jesus came, why we have the gospel, what's the gospel, good news, okay, what's the bad news, like, there is both, just because there are less words talking about wrath doesn't mean it is less important, yes, it does amplify and put a a magnifying glass on just the unfathomable love of God and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. Yes, absolutely. That is more important, but it does not discredit his wrath whatsoever. Wrath must be congruent throughout the Bible. The whole thing. If you can recall, we, we mentioned Simeon, the, the red letters, red letters only. So do we not remember that in John through where John is giving testimony about Jesus being the Son of God, being the same God who spoke to Moses and told him his attributes in Exodus 34. They are the same, so they must be congruent throughout. Again, pointing back to the illiterate understanding of Scripture. Language, we do transition from Hebrew to Greek, and in the Greek we have two words. Two words used throughout the New Testament. First being the Orge, um, meaning to grow ripe for something. Uh, It can portray wrath as a building up over time. You can think water collecting behind a dam or the filling of a cup. We'll visit that later. Um, Yes, so I said it's not used nearly as much in the New Testament as the old. Uh, This orge, 36 times. Uh, Fairly easy to count that. Um, We can do that 36 times. The second word, thymos, 18 times. Um, The thymos, meaning to rush along fiercely, to be in a heat of violence, to breathe violently. Interestingly, only in Revelation is this thymos, thymos, whatever it is, it's used in reference to God's wrath. Um, that is ten times in Revelation. The other eight are all in reference to, to man's wrath. So, again, like do, be angry and do not sin. Um, I think I have a few verses that we'll recount later on. But um, it, it's interesting to me because this thymos it, it's, it's the, the more violent of the two words. Um so I it's just I want to keep that in mind as we go on, as we cover some more things, especially within Revelation, that we 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 remember that distinction between orge, the filling up, and the thymos, the, the the be to be in a heat of violence, if you will. So let us consider John 3 for a synopsis of the gospel. It's what we're here for, the good news Into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Um, It goes on. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Those numbers are not correct. That's it's, yeah, that's a typo. Yep, forgive, forgive that. Uh, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is, Right here. This is the answer. This is salvation. This is the way for us to no longer be under the wrath of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Believe in Jesus and you will have eternal life. Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. If you don't believe, you will not be saved. God's wrath remains on them. That means God's wrath is already on them. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. A few verses that help solidify this understanding of wrath within the New Testament Hebrews 13.8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same God we see throughout the entire Bible. There is not Old Testament doctrine, New Testament doctrine. No, there is biblical doctrine. It all works together. It has to. Luke 13.13, excuse me. Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent, otherwise you will perish to the death that you have already brought upon yourself. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent, he will forgive us and deliver us from our unrighteousness. And then Mark 1:14 through 15, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus saying repent. And I love it. It's right as Jesus begins his ministry. He says, my time is now. Repent and believe. That's the Jesus that we serve. Not this only only love, no confrontation, no discipline Jesus. Repent. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, uh, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So, we who are saved need to put the things to death that put Jesus to death. We need to put away our sin to turn from it. For that sin is what will ultimately bring about the active wrath of God. Uh, One interesting note at the end there it says we are to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Again, distinguishing wrath being God's and not ours. Any time mankind is wrathful, it's in sin. Wrath is God's, and God's alone. It's not ours to bear. So that brings us to the two types of wrath we see within the Bible. There are two types, what we can call passive and active. So if you want, turn to Romans 1. God's wrath on unrighteousness. Excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well... Yeah, so You're more right than you know. Let's examine this. We see the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is what we can call the passive wrath of God. God giving mankind over to their sinful desires due to unrepentant hearts. So what do we see first? It says God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. We can we can call this sexual immorality, and, and, and I'm sure there's a lot more there. But let's consider our own timeline within America. The sexual revolution between the 60s and the 80s. I think that could be fairly uh, apparent there. The the, the uh, rapid growing acceptance of pornography. Then we see God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Homosexuality. You don't like it, take it up with the person who wrote the book, not me. We can see that within our own nation. In the, I was a kid, but I'm guessing the, the widespread acceptance of homosexuality started, the push started in the late 90s. In early 2000s, and now we just got done as a nation celebrating Pride Month. They still refused to repent and so God gave them up to a debased mind. All manners of unrighteousness, a a complete smorgasbord of wickedness. Look where we're at today. We have the complete and utter collapse of morality Uh, in truth, decency, logic, discipline, science, sex trafficking, human human slavery, human trafficking is I don't want to say more alive and well than it's ever been, but it's the truth. Being fueled by the pornography industry. There are more slaves, what's that statistic, more slaves on the earth today, today than there ever has been throughout all history combined? Something like that? That may be wrong, but I've, I've heard that statistic thrown around quite often so if if you think that's wrong go ahead and look it up the deception that creeps into let's just say those who support homosexuality's minds when they hear like I probably sound angry and I am angry but I'm not angry at them I'm angry at the deception that is leading them to hell like we're talking about wrath and yes we're going to talk about that act of wrath it's like I don't want that for anybody and it makes me mad and it should but not to the point of, of sin. One, one of a, my favorite commentators, our very own Brian Young, <laughs> wrote in his commentary on Romans, which can be found online for free at uh, creationinstruction.org. Is that it? <laughs> well, this you can find on, can you find on Patreon too? <laughs> yeah. I'd, sorry, Brian, I totally botched that for you. <laughs> Uh, he wrote in his commentary on Romans, almost every major civilization before us has first become corrupt sexually before it was destroyed. The Romans, the Greeks, cities like Pompeii, and many others were all very sexually immoral. God warned us after giving a long list of sexual sins, for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. That's Leviticus 18, 27 through 28. Sexual sins will defile a land, and God promises that the land will vomit you out of it. This should make us fear for cities like San Francisco, indeed even countries like America as a whole. And when did he write this? Oh, that's probably been 20 years. Oh, so even 20 years ago. Yeah, I just how far we've come since then. As we watch homosexuality, sodomy, heterosexual promiscuity, yep, that's still a thing, Uh, pornography, debauchery, um, growing quickly and running rampantly in this country, one must wonder, if not already know it, that we have been given over to the desires of our heart because we have rejected God as creator any civilization that rejects god as creator becomes corrupt and sexually immoral and romans just explained why so a very appropriate commentary on that section and yes as i stated earlier this is not the standard for america there are remnants within the nation who want nothing to do with this 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 wickedness millions who who are praying against it i'm sure but it's like I said, it just seems like every single day we're losing more and more ground. This harkens back to what we talked about um, with Paul, a lot of progressive Christians. There's a, a, just a wonderful video. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's one of those like interviews where it's got two people, or two groups of people, a couple with uh, um, complementing viewpoints. So one was progressive Christians, the other was like... Uh, They probably called them conservative Christians or something like that. Biblically authentic Christians. And there was this young man, a worship leader, who, uh, he he said he struggled with with same-sex attraction, but he knew what the Bible said on it, and that he was not ever going to act on it. And this other progressive Christian was, progressive Christian, was a, a gay man, the pastor, and he's like, well, why do you say that? He's like, well, Paul talks about it. He's like, well, that's Paul. That's not really... He's like, no, it's by... It. It's uh, the authority of God. And so if you're someone who does not believe that... If you pick and choose and say, this is authority and this is not, y- you may as well throw the entire thing out. Because if you are not willing to submit yourselves from Genesis to Revelation, the entirety of Scripture, you are not willing to to fully understand the truth and love that God has for you R.C. Sproul whom I have really come to appreciate said that when there's something in the word of God that I don't like the problem is not with the word of God the problem is me and perhaps we should and, and let us not for a moment think we are above deception in other areas too just because we can see this blatant truth does not mean that we are above deception in other areas in our life. We should not let pride creep in. We do need to remember that. We should say, Lord, I believe every word that you say is true. Help me with my unbelief, my confusion, my deception. So, um, yes, okay, got to keep moving. Um, we see in Romans 1, passive wrath is God giving us over to our sinful desires due to our unrepentant hearts. That's key, due to unrepentance. So let me back up to that first point. Um, I I write here that God gives us over so that we would address the conviction within our heart. Um, But when we neglect that conviction, he gives us over again and again until our own eventual ruin. To the second point, God's chosen people continually rejected God and his law. They adopted pagan nations, gods, and practices. So we see the passive wrath against them. We are in the midst of experiencing God's passive wrath. That is a terrifying thing to realize. And it's not like it's new. Humanity has been under God's passive wrath since the dawn of of, since the fall, but I just see it so much more active now. Um, We can see that God's passive wrath revealed against humanity, and yes, worldwide, but I would just say evidently here in America, I'm not willing to say that America is worse than any nation or any nation is worse than us. I can only speak for what I see. Ironically, this is kind of a side note, but talking about the passive wrath we see today, it is ironic that those within America demanding justice who could that be and cleansing the cities with violence and fire, are the same ones who curse God, who will do with righteousness cleansing with fire, and with violence. So they curse God for doing what God will do when they themselves are doing the very same thing. Just a thought. Just a thought. So to close out passive wrath, God gives us over to passive wrath as an ultimate warning for his coming active wrath that we will face in eternity if we do not turn back to God. So the active wrath. Again, we can point back to well, let me read this first part. Act of wrath is, is seen throughout Scripture as a physical judgment. You see the flood, destruction of, God, and more of the these things we visited before. And there, again, are many other examples. Um, but it is also, and more prominently, seen as eternal damnation. We go to Romans 2, just across the page. Is meant to lead you to repentance. So, quick, a uh, few notes here before we move on to the next few verses. You Paul. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to what did I say? Knowing. Not knowing. Sorry. Error. Not knowing that God's yeah. kindness. Um, so, real quick. Paul here is confronting those who are judging others who they, for doing the very sins they themselves are doing. He's confronting the hypocrites. Um, and, if you'll notice in verse 4, this, I, I kind of wanted to say this for the end, but I just didn't know how to do it, so I'm just going to do it now. Um, it is God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. Not, not, it does, he doesn't say His wrath is meant to lead us to repentance. Yes, we need to be aware of it, but when we're preaching and teaching, we need to, to take it back to the kindness And the goodness of God and his forgiveness. That, yeah, you are a wicked, just wretched sinner, deserving of wrath. But God is kind and he loves you and he doesn't want you to face his wrath. So when we teach wrath, we should remember that kindness is meant to lead to repentance. Moving on. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath, or storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well doing seek glory and honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So we see here in verse 5 that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment in God's or on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Remember that word orge, this is that same word for wrath, that building up, storing up wrath for yourself. And perhaps you're like me and you you think, I, I can definitely see this referring to those, the unrighteous, the unrepentant, the wicked, who don't seem to face God's discipline here on this earth who prosper, who gain, who continue in their wickedness. I'm reminded of Job 21. <laughs> he, he, he talks about, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. He goes on. I'll kind of skip around. Um, they spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, Depart from us! We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. He goes on, How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger? That they are like straw before the wind and like chaff the storm carries away. You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Well, let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink of the wrath of God Almighty. I don't know about you, but I can relate to what Job is saying there. I Think of just the utter depths of evil within Sex, slavery. I, I, I just, yeah, I cannot begin to imagine the amount of wrath they're storing up from, for themselves on the other side of this life. And we, I just have to remind myself that, yes, they are what, storing up that wrath. Even though we may not see it here, this life is but a breath. It's but a vapor they will reap what they sow. Well, then they will be forgiven. Um, so, again, we can see in verse 7 through 11, notice the contrast, we have eternal life and eternal wrath. This eternal wrath is eternal damnation. It is hell. It is unquenchable, unending, conscious, torment. I decided that's where I stand. (laughs) Those who reject Christ's salvation will face his wrath. Or you could also say that they will drink the cup of wrath. Which brings me to my next section. The cup of wrath. (laughs) Throughout the Bible, God uses the imagery of a cup to illustrate multiple concepts, if you will, so there's 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 a lot of them. Like the cup of salvation, cup of blessing, yeah. and cup of wrath. Just I would say those are probably the main ones that we're familiar with. Um, in the Old Testament and New Testament, the cup contains that which is divinely portioned out, and of which one is to partake or consume. In regards to wrath, the wicked are told they will either consume the contents of the cup or the contents will be poured out on them. 2 Chronicles 24 For for great is the wrath of God that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. Um, I'm going to go on for time's sake. Psalm 11 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 75. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51, wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25, thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. In these two verses, we see Isaiah and Jeremiah warning of Israel of what is due for their wickedness, and also more wrath that is to come if they don't repent and turn from their wickedness. Um, In jeremiah there they shall drink and stagger uh, and be crazed this this imagery of drunkenness is to illustrate shame and humiliation much later on revelation 14 we see and another angel a third follow them saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand We have this imagery of God's wrath being held in a cup and divinely given out to either consume it or to pour it out upon the wicked. Little bit of a side note with that. And this was just really interesting to me. I have searched for a long time to try and find a good answer. I just didn't find one. So this is just pure speculation. Uh, In Romans 16, we see the apex of God's wrath, the high point. It is the seven bowls of wrath, not the seven cups. So why do we have this, this transition from cups to bowl? I don't know. I don't have anything that I can point to in Scripture and plant my flag there. But a a a more wrath Well, the here's, my, here's my speculation. Here's my speculation. Um, the use of bowls, the seven bowls, is to illustrate a larger broader vessel capable of storing up more wrath and being able to dispense a greater outflowing far more rapidly than a cup. Maybe, maybe not. I just could not find... It. Yeah, there's, it's like fiale is the Greek word. Some have vial. So it's like, I don't know, I just, King James, I think, has vial or cup, but every, like, so I use the ESV, And like everything else I've seen is bull. It's like I don't know. It's just speculation. So, in in a biblical exposition of the wrath of God, Romans 16 is the apex of that wrath. You're saying Romans 16 is it Revelation? Did I say Romans? I'm sorry, Revelation. Sorry. I meant I meant what I know. I figured that it was, but you said twice. I was like Revelation. Revelation 16. So the cup of wrath. We see that the cup. In, in reference to wrath, is filled with wrath, what caused it to fill with wrath? Our sin. Yeah, us. We, we brought wrath. Wrath was not just... We brought it. Our sin caused it. And every person has sinned and deserves to drink the cup of wrath. Romans 6.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, unless they accept Christ drinking it for them on our behalf. Matthew 26. He said to them, and this this is right before he is to be handed over, Uh, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will again for the second time this is a bit later a few verses again for the second time he went away and prayed my father if this cannot pass unless I drink it your will be done what is this cup this is the cup of God's wrath judgment for all sin and Jesus drinking this cup suffering the wrath paying for all sin is what allows us eternal. John 18, 11, this, is, this is that same moment. They're in the garden. Peter, trying to be the hero, chops off some servant's ear. Jesus is like, no more of that, Peter. He says, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus had to drink the cup. It is only because he drank it that we may become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him known. Er, er, I'm sorry. Do, do I have. He made, I'm sorry. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus had to drink the cup. So he did and he suffered the wrath of God so that we might become children of God. And maybe I can understand why many soft Christians don't like this because it is difficult to comprehend, to understand. It's a marvelous mystery. John, 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We are the guilty party. We are the ones deserving of wrath. We are the ones who filled the cup. And again, as I said before, we are far more wicked than we realize, and God is far more holy than we can begin to comprehend. And there are only Two options. You drink the cup of wrath or you let Christ drink it for you. Every last drop. And this is salvation. Said, Turn burn. Yep. This wasn't the part that I was supposed to get teared up on. This is a, this is a different one. So, <clears throat> <laughs> wrath. Yeah, manly. Now, we get the gift of drinking the cup of salvation. John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They shall hunger no more, uh, sorry, Revelation 7. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Cup of salvation. Everyone, again, will either drink the cup of wrath or the cup of salvation. Again, as a reminder: Jesus drank every last drop of the cup of wrath when he died on the cross. He emptied it for us so that we could drink of the cup of salvation. Remember John three thirty-six: Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. If you reject Jesus, you will drink the cup of wrath. You will face eternal torment in complete separation from God Almighty, endlessly experiencing His wrath. So, that concludes the cup of salvation. We're coming close to the end, wanted to touch on wrath within the imagery of the lion and the lamb. The lamb, obviously there's so much to go into here, I'm not even going to scratch the surface, but we are familiar that, um, in the, so in the context of wrath, we see Jesus come first as the lamb, the blood sacrifice to pay for our sins. The same imagery of, this, of, of blood sacrifice that the Jews had been performing for their sins throughout history. He paid the price by shedding his blood for our sin. He was our sacrifice as the Lamb. He bore our punishment and he satisfied God's wrath as the Lamb. But when he comes again, he's coming as the Lion of Judah. The conquering king. And I'd like to revisit Jeremiah 25 later on in that passage. It says, You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, And from his holy habitation, utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. We can relate to Jeremiah in the days that he was in. If you read it, they are just flooded with false prophets and false teachers speaking on behalf of the Lord when the Lord had not commanded them to say anything. Sadly, just as it was then, there are many people today, and I like this part, who prefer the meow of feeble cats <laughs> over the resounding roar of the Lion of Judah? Yes. that on cat people? <laughs> no. Well, yes. Sure, maybe, no. <laughs> May we never turn our ears from the roar of the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power, wealth, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So there, beautiful passage showing Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And when he returns, it would be right of us to remember that he will return as the lion, the conquering king, who will save his bride, and who will bring wrath, final wrath, upon his enemies. All of this is the point to God's holiness. So, as the conquering king, wrath is, is definitely present. And we should not forget it. C.S. Lewis, old Clive. Clive Staples, is it? Yeah, what a guy. <laughs> wrote in this beautiful moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that I, I think really helps bring light to Jesus as the Lion it happens when this character, Lucy, inquires about this Aslan, the lion in the story, who is an image of God in the story. Now, Lucy, talking to none other than Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, inquires Is he a tame lion? Hold on. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> na, na, na. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, man, that's tough. Of course he isn't safe. <laughs> but he is holy and righteous and majestic and just. And he hates sin and he will not tolerate any more of it in his return. Mm. He's the lion who will, of course, destroy anything that stands between he and his children, just as lions do. It is a fearful and dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Best be on his side then, yes? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will save you if you follow him. So, in conclusion, if I could get my wits about me here, my goodness. <laughs> to understand wrath within the Bible, we have to understand that we are saved from God. We are saved by God. And we are saved for God. Salvation is from the wrath of God. Again, I don't know how much more clearly I could reiterate it, but wrath that we brought upon ourselves. Salvation is from God through his son Jesus, who drank the cup of wrath we were destined to drink. And salvation is for the glory of God. Revelation 5 9 through 10, if you remember, it says, By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth we are saved from God by God for God Father God we love you so much And we are so, so thankful for your cup of salvation, the cup of blessing, for redeeming us from the curse, for giving us away when there seemed to be no way, for suffering the wrath that we so rightly deserve to suffer. Not because You are an abusive God. Not because you are some flippant God full of revenge, but because you are a God who is just and good. You are a God of order. And sin must be dealt with. The cup of wrath must be drinking. Jesus, you drank every last drop. Praise be to God Almighty. May we never lose sight of this beautiful truth. May we always have an appropriate fear and admiration for your wrath. And may we, if given the opportunity, lead those who are confused, who are deceived. about your wrath may we lead them in your truth God thank you for this group this wonderful body that we can gather celebrate your goodness and worship your name and learn more about your, your word that you give us blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty we love you Amen.